used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Good afternoon, happy Friday, and welcome to Animal Voices, a radio show about animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO, broadcasting from Vancouver, Canada, on unceded Coast Salish territory. I'm Carol Davies-McIntosh, and here also is Allison Cole. Happy Friday. It's December 6, 2019. And Allison, you have some observations about the link between non-human and human animal rights. Well, yes, every December 10th is Human Rights Day, and we always do usually acknowledge that on the show because, because what we do in animal rights is very connected to human rights. December 10th every year is the day that the United Nations General Assembly adopted in 1948 the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is a milestone document proclaiming the inalienable rights, which everyone is inherently entitled to as a human being, regardless of race, color, religion, sex, language, etc. Now, you know us as an animal rights slash animal advocacy show, but I want to acknowledge the distinct correlations and the likeness of both human rights and, and animal rights. I know I've been I've been an animal rights activist or a, an advocate I'd say now for um, well over over twenty years and and I'm wondering you're a long time animal activist your advocate yourself Cheryl I'm, or Carol I'm wondering you know in all your years of advocating for animals how many times have you conversed with people proclaiming that maybe you should be more concerned with human poverty starving people in Africa or mm-hmm. other issues relating to the basic rights of humans rather than those of non-human rights. These are usually the basic arguments that people come to me with when I'm speaking to them, like doing street outreach in that. What about you? What have your experiences been like? Has anyone said to you, why don't you care about humans instead of animals? There have been a few, not too many, fortunately, but a few people have said, why don't you, why aren't you out there, you know, marching or helping people rather than animals? And I think you are actually my <laughs> my well that's true I am but um, but when I'm help, trying to help animals people will say that and it and that I just see it as linked it's just part of the web of life on this planet mm-hmm. and we're all here together Exactly. I believe that human rights and animal rights, they're not separate entities. They shouldn't be seen as one. When others are oppressed, no one can be free. And we have social justice movements, quite a few of them here on our planet that affect humans. Well, guess what? They also intersect with animal rights. And we've presented many shows over the years that address these correlations. And if you go to uh, our our website animalvoices.org you can see you can just type in any term that you want in the search bar and probably a podcast or two will show up on it that we have a decades worth of podcasts 
on there. So, you know, we are all animals. Everything that happens here on Earth to one another affects one another. And as humans, we cannot act independently under the badge of human rights without it affecting all those around us and vice versa. So some of the specific topics that you would have heard us in, in past shows were specifically that we covered we've covered the human rights of slaughterhouse workers certain uh, several times domestic violence feminism the prison system and most lately our four-part document series which documentary series which concludes today on the rights of children growing up in school systems that largely promote animal exploitation in the education and upbringing of these young minds and i want to thank you carol for actually initiating like such a very thorough series that we hadn't done before to show that there are so many wrong things happening in the way that our children are raised Mm -hmm. and that you know that is the beginning of animal rights or and human rights i mean and in human rights humans should be free from growing up in a society where they're taught exploitation right and where they're forced into some of that themselves right they're forced into exploitative activity that they don't even know about until maybe later on as a teenager as or as an adult so i just want to leave us with this quote which kind of sums up the the spirit of what we're speaking about as long as people will shed the blood of innocent creatures there can be no peace no liberty no harmony between people slaughter and justice cannot dwell together and that was said by nobel laureate isaac bashevis singer up in the morning and out to school the teacher is teaching the golden rule american history and practical man you study him hard and hoping to pass working your fingers right down to the bone Today is our fourth and last show in a series called School Days, in which we have sought to discover how to create a more compassionate and cruelty-free education environment. Since September, we've been investigating the way animals are used in schools for food, for entertainment, and in the name of education, usually in science class. We have also looked at how it affects the compassionate people who view animals as our equivalents. And those would be the students, mostly. Sometimes they're the teachers. We've found that it's not simply about using animals directly as experimental objects or as food. It's about the perceptions that we teach and perpetuate and the attitude that we hold that non-human animals are not only less than us and have virtually no intrinsic value, but are actually on this planet for our use. In short, we've come full circle to see that humane education, which expels speciesism and promotes a least harm attitude, is the viable approach. So today we have three interviews for you. You'll hear Soleil Denom, a high school student in Vancouver, tell the story of standing her ground in the classroom and the discussion that ensued because of that. You'll also hear Monica Chen discuss the connection between factory farming, environment, and social justice and education. Up first, we'll talk to early childhood educator Mallory Bolt 
young children have not experienced the same level of conditioning and normalization of speciesism and are more likely to feel for animals and react from the heart. Or are they? Mallory Bolt shares what she observed while working in the early childhood education facility at Auckland University in New Zealand. Mallory has a bachelor's degree in early childhood education and is passionate about teaching babies to four-year-olds. Let's hear her observations. Hi, Mallory. Thanks for being here today. I just found your paper online called What Are Children's Views on Speciesism? And I was really intrigued by it because I haven't seen a lot of information about speciesism with a uh, young child group. So um, I think you were, you were just telling me you, were, you work with children from two to about four years old. Yeah, that is right, yeah. In your paper, you recount a story of a young child who was, I think, about two and a half and a plastic pig. Can you share that with us now? Yeah, so that was, um, I think it just happened just after I went vegan. Um, I had been a vegetarian for quite quite a few years, since the age of 11. Mm. And then after I went vegan, I um, was working with a group of um mostly toddler age children, mostly two to three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And the one day, one had been um, playing with the um, farm animals and um, he picked up a Play-Doh knife and started pretending to cut a toy pig. Uh-huh. And then another child who was nearby became really upset by this and he started screaming and crying and he was like, what are you doing? No, stop. You're hurting the pig. Stop. We don't eat pigs. And then I thought, hang on. I know this child is an omnivorous child. He eats meat. Mm -hmm. He eats dairy. He eats eggs. And I thought it was really interesting that he was getting so upset by the pig being hurt with a plastic knife. Um, So then after that, I wanted to delve a bit deeper and find out more about speciesism and children and to Mm -hmm. see what their take is on it and how they feel about animals. So what do you mean by the term speciesism? So speciesism, it's actually what I found interesting is it's quite an old term. It was developed, I think, in the 1970s, and it's pretty much a form of discrimination and prejudice based on species membership. So there are two major forms of speciesism. The first one is human supremacism. Mm -hmm. So that's the view that human beings are better than other animals, that we're above or we're the top of the food chain sort of thing. And the second is species versus species, um, speciesism. And um, so that is the view that certain animals are superior to other animals. So, for example, that cats and dogs are superior to, say, pigs, to cows, to chickens, um, and so on. Right. So our traditional uh, uh, animals that we would have as companion animals would be superior in our minds than farm animals, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Right. So why did you think to apply that term to young children? 
Um, so I just um, wanted to, yeah, see what what their view was mm-hmm. and to kind of see does this actually, um, does it relate to children and can they actually be species of it? And what I found when I was writing my article and doing the research is um, that most young children, they actually don't have those sorts of views yet. It's um, what they pick up from those around them, um, their teachers, their mm-hmm. friends, their parents mostly. Um, and then that forms their understanding of animals and their views of animals. Um, and pretty much the research has found, um, so Rice wrote in 2013 that young children are simply ignorant. Um, they don't know where meat comes from. They don't have any views as such. Mm-hmm. And then as children get older, they become willfully ignorant. So they know where meat comes from, for example, mm-hmm. but they just don't really think about it. And then as they grow into teenagers and adults, then the term is incompetent. And that is where they know exactly where meat and dairy and eggs come from. They know how animals are used, Mm -hmm. um, but they've pretty much been conditioned um, to have these views of animals um, as inferior and um, to that it's okay to use them for certain things. And yeah, so it's um, it's all pretty pretty interesting. And that's what the research says. What what has your experience been with young children? And animals. It's quite eye-opening. I think at the moment, especially, I'm working with um, some babies as well, and then toddlers and preschoolers. And I've noticed that most babies, they don't really hold those views yet. They're quite curious about animals. Um, say, for example, if we encounter a spider or a worm in the garden, mm-hmm. they're very curious and they want to see them and and then as they grow older, you hear more of the, oh, yuck, that's gross. Ooh, they're slimy. Mm-hmm. Oh, spiders are yucky. They're scary. And I've even heard um, a toddler before saying, oh, where's the spray? We need to get the spray and, and kill it. And I think, oh, wow, you know, that's that's quite interesting. Right. So I've um, definitely seen that it progresses. So when they're small, they don't really hold those views. Mm-hmm. But as they get older then they become more evident and um, you can really see what they've picked on, um, picked up on from those around them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, different views that their families hold. And, and an interesting thing was once um, where I was having a conversation with a group of four-year-olds and um, we were talking about lions and how they eat meat. Mm-hmm. And the one four-year-old said, well, lions would eat us because we're meat. And then the two other four-year-olds were just shocked and just disgusted and quite traumatized to think, oh, no, I'm not meat. Right. And then the other child who obviously had a bit more understanding of uh, meat, maybe their parents had shared a bit more about, you know, what meat actually is. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he was like, no, we, we are, we're made of meat. And it was, yeah, it was really interesting to see. To see their reaction. Yeah, and even just just, um, small kind of statements that children will make. Sometimes, for example, 
that cows give us milk or bees give us honey or mm-hmm. chickens give us eggs and to see how they've picked up on that, you know, that animals are there to give us something. So that type of language that they the animals are actually giving it to us rather than we're taking it from them. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's quite interesting when when you talk to them and say, for example, talking about honey and why bees make honey and they'll say, Oh, it's for us to have on our toast and it's like, Well, no, it's it's actually their their food source in, in winter and a lot of the children are quite surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Um and I think yeah, it's definitely where People where adults have already ingrained that into their minds, um, and especially like during a child's first thousand years, they form a lot of their core beliefs, a lot of their values. Um, so it's some, something that they can carry with them for years. Mm-hmm. So, how do you think that schools and maybe teachers can influence children's attitudes towards animals? I think one of the major things is the resources we use. So, for example, um, different farm animal resources where it's a, a, a Lego kit which has cows and chickens mm-hmm. and, and then there's a little farmer man and, and a barn. Um, it can also be stories that we tell children and um, all the old nursery rhymes and, and songs such as Old MacDonald. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me personally, when I was younger, if I heard Old MacDonald, that formed my understanding of a farm when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I always believed that a farm would be one jolly old man with <laughs> maybe one cow, <laughs> maybe right. a few sheep, mm-hmm. a few pigs. Whereas that's, you know, as we know, it's not what a farm actually is. No. Most farms are, are tree farms. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, it's the teacher's own view. So if a teacher has a view that certain animals are yuck, if the certain animals deserve to be killed, to be squashed, and then the way that we talk about those animals around children, they pick up on that and then they take those beliefs on and see them as true. Mm-hmm. And um, I think even the what we feed Adam, um, children, so if we feed them meat, if we feed them dairy and eggs, then that's also sending the message that animals are ours to use. So do you find that you're able to make a little bit of a difference in these children's lives and in their reaction to animals and in their indoctrination into speciesism? Um, Yes, I think I do try every day to, you know, even little kind of snippets of information that I can give the children so Mm -hmm. that hopefully their understanding of animals will be a bit different. So say even teaching them that pigs are one of the smartest animals in the world and that pigs aren't dirty as most people believe and that they're actually quite clean. Um, And even getting them to, for example, with um, insects and spiders, Mm -hmm. instead of encouraging a fear to teach them to just observe them in their habitat and to teach them that they don't want to harm us, they would rather leave us alone. So as long as we don't um, upset them and interfere with them, then they'll just do their own thing and 
So I try to, um, every day, plant these, these little seeds and hope that in the future that children will consider it um, and to, yeah, give them information about different animals and, and I try and avoid also different books that might teach children that animals are resources and mm-hmm. um, different songs that teach them that it's, it's like the three blind mice song, you know, oh. that it's okay to, to harm mice and rats. And, mm-hmm. and I think um, especially after reading about how a lot of marketing and um, the imagery used really forms our understanding of animals mm-hmm. and how we see them. I've become really conscious about what I'm using, what resources I put out, and and I'll even try and do um, vegan baking with the children and vegan cooking to show them that, well, you can have cake, you can make a vegan alternative. Right, so that we don't ha- we don't need to have all of those things that we thought we did at one time. Yeah, yeah. You know that's fabulous. I'm glad to hear that someone like you is um, helping to shape some young minds into compassionate living. Yeah, thank you, Carol. It's, yeah, it's, um, I think realizing how much influence teachers have and adults have on the children and how we can help them in the future so that they're they're not unaware and ignorant um, that they have an understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Mallory, and I wish you much success in your mission to make this world better for children and for animals. Thank you, Carol. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Mosaic is proud to present the English Language Institute, located off of Commercial Broadway. Are you scared to pick up the phone? Our everyday English class can help. Our experienced teachers give you the listening skills to feel confident chatting in English with anyone, anywhere. For further information, visit mosaicbc.org slash M-E-L-I. The Mosaic English Language Institute on Commercial Drive. Now we're going to hear from a student's perspective. Soleya Denom is a grade 8 student in Vancouver. She's passionate and feisty, especially in her quest for social and environmental justice. She describes to us her experience in advocating for her right to be compassionate. Soleya, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What grade are you in and your school district? I'm in grade 8. I go to a CSF school, which is... French, the French school board in BC, mm-hmm. and I attend Jules Verne Secondary. My favorite courses are art, I would say, and math, and I've been vegan since December 27th of last year. Oh, wow, almost your veganversary <laughs> coming up. Yeah. Are you the only one in your family that's vegan? Yeah, I'm oh. the only vegan in my family. Mm-hmm. I just have vegan friends who transitioned me into going vegan. How was that for your parents and your the rest of your family? Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I feel like it was more my grandpa. He was like, Ugh, why are you vegan? And my grandma was like not annoyed, but she was just like confused. She was like, why? Why would you do that? Right. My mom has been vegetarian before, which is really annoying. So like she understood mm-hmm. and it's not really that difficult and they're kind of over it now because like it's been so long that like they don't really expect me to go back you know right 
Yeah, cause it's been almost a year. So before we talked a little bit briefly before about what experience your experiences were like in your school system. And you said that you hadn't been asked to dissect an animal, but people had told you that you probably would be. Now you have, haven't you? Yes. This week in, I think it was Wednesday, in science class, we were talking about eyes like and the anatomy and like learning about it mm-hmm. a bit and watching this video. And then they told us that we were going to be dissecting a cow's eye. And then I just like, I okay, I think my first reaction was to raise my hand and I said, I'm not going to do that. And he was like, what? Wow. And I was like, I'm not going to dissect a cow's eye. And there's one other vegan in my class. So it was like really funny. And then it was basically like him and like the whole class. Our class is really good at debates. We're talking for the longest time. And then it got to the point where they were talking about how um, cows are like forcefully impregnated to make milk. And it was so interesting. And then by the end of it, I was just like, you can talk to my parents. I'm, my mom would never say you have to do this. Right. But like, honestly, even if they say they were the kind of parents that say would say you have to do this. And I said I wouldn't do it. Like, what would they actually do? Like, they can't force me. It's my it's personal for me. Yeah. So it's your it's your values. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then he said that I'll talk to the principal about it. And then <laughs> I accidentally said, no, I'll talk to the principal myself. And then I, I, I didn't mean to say it in like a sassy way. I just meant like, I'm going to go talk to him. Right. And I was like, oops. Oh, so, yeah. so have you talked to your principal yet? Yes, I have. He basically told me that because there's a bunch of others, there's like, there's vegetarians and there's three vegans in my grade. And he basically told us that they would probably put us on like the same project, but they would not they wouldn't make us dissect the eyes and then basically he asked me if, if I would be comfortable watching but not but having like a friend dissect and I was like no I'm not doing that mm-hmm. it's like you don't want to see it at all or like touch it and I was like yes you're still involved with it if you're doing that yeah if I wouldn't eat it if I wouldn't wear it like if I wouldn't buy feathers like I wouldn't dissect a cow's eye like that's just gross and then also like if you say like we're actually like we're cutting open the eye of a living being that was Mm -hmm. once alive that had a family and like feelings like like it kind of sounds like I'm exaggerating but like really honestly how else are we supposed to like say it like it would we kind of normalized it but it's still weird if you think about it in that sense it absolutely is and a lot of people of course don't think of it in that sense yeah so basically in the end my science teacher told me that I would have to get my parents to excuse me from this class. So I don't think I'm losing a, my, a mark for it, mm-hmm. but I think it's just going to be like I was absent. So yeah, because I'm not even going to be there. Good. They said they're buying, I think, 12 eyes and they're $5 each. And I'm like, you know, that money could go to like other things. Mm-hmm. Like we could not dissect live animals, like animals that were alive. Mm-hmm. It's just frustrating. Well, it, this might be a little more frustrating for you because uh, th- they have costed it out and um, it's actually cheaper to not use animals in dissection in school than it is to use models or 3D images or computerized programs for it. So good for you for standing up for yourself. How did that feel? It felt good. It was it was kind of like surprising. Like people felt I was like forcing my beliefs, and I was like, "What? Like it's not a religion. It's just like mm-hmm. I don't want to dissect a live animal's mm-hmm. eye." Well, good for you. So I'm. I'd love to hear a follow up on that of how that how that worked afterwards. 
are there other events or parts of your school experience that you find uncomfortable because of the way that animals are treated? A bit. Maybe like the green club at our school, but sometimes when they like talk about how like to reduce emissions and then I'm like, oh, like reduce your meat consumption. And then after that, they just kind of like ignore it. And I'm like, people like this is like a priority. Come on. And also, I don't know. I just think it's like, there's not that many accessible vegan food options at our school. Do you have a cafeteria? Like there's, yeah, we do. So like, there's also snacks baked every single morning. So like, if you don't have, if you didn't have breakfast, you can get like a warm croissant, but there's no vegan options. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's like, there's only vegetarian options also. So it's just kind of disappointing. So there's no just fully plant-based options in the cafeteria. Yeah. All right. Have you asked them about that? No, I haven't actually. I feel like they, they might, they might take it into consideration, but also I don't think there's enough vegans in my school for them to actually take it seriously unless it was like the non-vegans would start ordering the vegan food two weeks they want to be healthier and because they know it's better for the planet and because the school was like for example promoting it mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. if it was choose over just like how like when vegan restaurants are open it's not only vegans yeah, that go course. there it's like people want to try it mm-hmm. out plant-based people things like that mm-hmm. And there are schools that have meatless Mondays or that sort of thing as well. We were hearing more and more about the environment and animal agriculture. And I think as we hear more evidence on that, that institutions like schools should, at least for the environment, should go that route, should bring that those things in for people to eat. Yeah, I think they also mentioned that like the environment was in their curriculum, which is kind of funny because... I have never once ever been talked about the environment in any of my classes when I've been going to the school for like nine years and I tried to get them to support the climate strike. They sent out an email to the, to all the parents being like, Oh no, we're not excusing kids to go to the climate strike. And don't worry, climate change is in the curriculum. I'm a student. I haven't ever been talked about this. So interesting. So how would you like to see your, school experience enhanced towards maybe something that is a little more comfortable for you because you know you you are in the minority as a vegan in in your school but your opinion and feelings still count just as anyone else's do how could they make it more comfortable for you i feel like it could be talked about more like not veganism but just like oh like of course veganism but also just like reducing and like the impact it has Mm -hmm. and like really there's tons of gluten-free people at my school, like vegans, like there's tons of people that are culturally diverse. Like there's Mm -hmm. tons of like people that can't have pork, you know, like it just needs to be more culturally diverse Mm -hmm. with like the food items and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's, do you have a message for your teachers or your school administrators? Honestly, I just don't understand why we're still using animals at this point. If it's bad for the environment, it's bad for our Mm -hmm. health. And it's bad for, it's, like, non-ethical. Like, the school's all about, like, keeping the kids, like, healthy and safe. But clearly, it's not healthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're one of the braver ones, really, because uh, I think there's a lot of students out there that really don't want to do that. Even if they're not vegan or vegetarian, they still don't feel right about it. But they don't have the confidence to stand up and say, yeah, I don't want to do this. So um, I'm glad that you stood up in front of your whole class and said that and, and taught, had that discussion in your class. 
that must have made an impact on some of the other students as well. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO, 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. We have Monica Chen, the National Programs Director at the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. Up next, Monica has a master's degree in education and has worked with students at elementary, middle, and high school levels. She's also worked in the prison system and in residential environmental education. Her activism is focused on the interconnectedness of social justice issues, and Monica explains how the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition uses peer-reviewed science to inform students about compassionate food choices. Hi Monica, thanks for being here. Um, As you know, we're just wrapping up our series on the use of animals in schools, so that would include elementary schools, um, high schools, colleges, universities. Uh, so we've covered a, a lot in this in this series, but right now we're looking for some solutions to what we can do, what we can add to the educational system or subtract from it that will help people to become more compassionate and more uh, understanding of the plight of animals in our society. So I thought that when I heard about Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, it sounded like an interesting organization and I wanted to, so I reached out to you for um, an interview. Can you briefly describe how and who started Factory Farming Awareness Coalition? Sure. The Factory Farming Awareness Coalition was started by my friend Katie Cantrell. I met Katie when I was a student at UC Berkeley, and we were both in a club called the Berkeley Organization for Animal Advocacy. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there weren't really any animal rights organizations going into schools and delivering this educational content. So Katie saw, you know, a niche that wasn't being filled, and she started to just give these presentations immediately after graduating and started off just visiting houses and... um, within the college system and then it started to get into more schools and now we have you know a staff of 14 we have directors in many different parts of the country and we go to mostly high schools and colleges but I've also given presentations in elementary schools middle schools and then we also speak to a number of different stakeholder audiences so various corporations or churches so you have a very broad reach then yeah we do I wanted to sort of nail this down a little bit the, because it's called Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. What Can you define what you mean by factory farm? So in our presentations, we talk about concentrated animal feeding operations. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially a place, and it can even be family run, but it's where you have thousands or tens of thousands of animals in a single place to maximize product and therefore maximize profit. Now, does that include things like fish farming? Typically, when we're talking about factory farming, we're not talking about aquaculture, but we still do raise awareness of aquaculture in our presentation. Okay. What is your organization's mission? What are you seeking to go out there and do? Our stated mission is that we hope to inspire and empower individuals and institutions to create a more just, compassionate, and sustainable food system. 
Mm-hmm. And we do that by educating people about topics that they already care about and making sure that there are connections. So when we are going to a certain class and they are studying perhaps immigrant rights, then we would make sure that we make a connection to who works on those factory farms, the late night cleaning crew, mostly of undocumented workers. Um, we would talk about the impacts of factory farming in terms of communities, air quality, and the water that they can drink. So we're trying to make sure that it connects to something that's already uh, talked about in their classes. And we don't just go to only, say, history classes. We go to literally every single type of class in, in a school. So that can be a, a French class, it can be mm-hmm. a chemistry class, it can be environmental sciences, anything. Do you tailor the presentations to what kind of class you're going into? Yes, absolutely. Right, okay. So if you were going into, um, like you were, you were talking about really social justice there in terms of factory workers, the factory farm workers, would that would you go into how uh, they're exploited kind of right along with the non-human animals? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We talk about factory farms and slaughterhouse workers who face debilitating chronic pain and illnesses, permanent disfigurement and post-traumatic stress disorder. Talk about the many undocumented slaughterhouse workers who are also frequently subjected to sexual harassment, wage theft, and deportation if they attempt to organize. And then more broadly, we'll talk about how a lot of communities um, are suffering from compromised air and water pollution, bacterial exposure, plummeting property values, and economic and cultural erosion of the local community. When you go into um, to a school, who? how do you get in there? Like, how do you, I mean, obviously, you just don't walk in the door with your presentation under your arm. How do you, do you get invited by the teachers, the admin, the students? Who, how do you get in the door? Well, first of all, we have a lot of different community events that we throw, so, you know, Veg Fest, um, these events called Mapdowns, you know, the Tofurky trial, like all these opportunities for people to meet us. We also go to a lot of events. So that's how some people hear about us and then they connect us with teachers in their local area. We also send emails to teachers to talk to them about, you know, how we have this opportunity. And we, we do come for free um, to all these schools. So that's an opportunity for them to have a guest speaker. And I'd say that those are the two primary ways, is, you know, word of mouth and then also reaching out to the teachers ourselves. Well, and I know you have, like, the, the educators can choose a couple of different styles. So there's a standard presentation and then a lesson format. Can you explain the difference between those? Sure. So the presentation is adapted to the length of the class and one of our presenters will go in for a single time, so it's just one very long presentation, and it goes over everything, you know, or whatever is relevant to that class. And mm-hmm. Normally, I'd say the classes are about an hour long, so we can talk about animal welfare. Uh, we'll normally talk about the environment and climate change, normally some section on either health or social justice, and then we'll end up with our solution section, which is really important. The lesson is different because the students watch our hidden and plain bite video beforehand, either as homework or during class the day before. And then instead of just presenting the information all over again, it's really more of a back and forth. We go through a discussion, essentially a very Socratic style seminar Mm -hmm. where we're thinking more about the reasons why. And the goal is the students are able to question things, ultimately come up with solutions themselves, Mm -hmm. really think things through. 
So you're facilitating the students to actually come up with their own solutions to the situation. Mm-hmm. And just really delve into some of the preconceived assumptions that we might have about what is normal, right? If you really push students to think more about, oh, I guess that, you know, I don't want the animals to suffer. Like, that doesn't seem right to me. Okay, well, then at what point do you um, kill these animals? And that, you know, just pushing their thinking even more about what what's right ethically. I know some people are worried that children would get, and it depends on the age group, I suppose, that would get upset with that sort of thing, that that would be really damaging to them, to know that, to actually know the truth, I guess, about what's happening in, with animals. And we don't show any images that, along the lines of what I remember from Earthlings, for example, mm-hmm. right, where there's mm-hmm. all the blood and, like, that very clear stuff, right? Um, and then to your question about, you know, are, is it concerning to the children, I would say that the children are often very interested in this material. I think that it's often the adults who are worried that that will have an impact that they can't control at home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why I think it's certainly more challenging to go to elementary schools. I think that high schoolers and college students are more prone to starting to make their own choices. And so adults and teachers feel more comfortable like exposing them to that information. Mm -hmm. But I really do enjoy speaking to the younger kids because the younger kids, you know, haven't experienced the same level of conditioning. (laughs) And so they're much more likely to say, huh, that doesn't seem right to me. (laughs) I'm very careful in terms of how I frame things because it's really what we often talk about are these seven touches, right? This like long-held marketing principle that it takes, you know, time for people to uh, start making changes. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that people don't say that they're going to go vegan just because of our single presentation for the most part. Right. Yeah. And then we delve into, well, what is a healthy diet made up of? And they sometimes will say, you know, it's like really important to get meat and protein and we try and unpack that. But also, we know that nine out of 10 people do not get enough fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. So we're often trying to add something in, right, as opposed to taking something away. And that's why I think that our Green Monday campaign is actually not that controversial. It's saying, how can we choose more plant-based options? (laughs) Right. And work that into our school cafeteria system. Your Green Mondays, now are you, that seems like it's a separate entity to factory farming, is it? To the factory farming uh, awareness coalition? Well, we are the coordinators of the Green Monday program in the United States. That sounds a lot like what we would have here called Meatless Monday. Mm -hmm. It's very similar, I think, but the thing with Meatless Monday is Meatless makes it sound like you're taking something away from people. That's true. And that's a lot of the pushback that we've heard. Mm -hmm. Green Monday is really emphasizing the sustainable impact. Mm -hmm. And on our GreenMondayUS.org website, you can actually calculate the amount of carbon and land that you're saving. I saw that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're you're covering health and nutrition, animal welfare, social justice, environment. That's a lot in one presentation. You're really packing that in. Well, we cover it again. Again, it, it depends upon the class. I'd say every single class briefly gets to talk about, at the bare minimum, animal welfare in the environment. The other topics, though, like gender and women's studies, don't come up unless it's you know a gender and women's studies class. Your presentations are based on the science, so you're you're giving the information not from uh, an opinion 
perspective, but actually from what the science is saying. Yes, and all of our citations are on our website. Um, and that must make the teachers feel a little more comfortable then. Yeah, I mean, when we're showing images of a battery cage, we state what a battery cage is. We mm -hmm. might state, like, this is how much space a chicken is, but we don't say, and isn't that terrible, and isn't that sad, right? We're not adding, like, additional emotion to it. Right. Like, we already trust the audience can see that that's not right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel like we're manipulating our audience. So in terms of the use of animals in our educational institutions, what do you see are the key solutions that Factory Farming Awareness Coalition brings to that? I think that, you know, there are ways in which animals are used in science classes, but above all, I think that in schools, we are seeing animals used for food, mm -hmm. right? Normally at the cafeterias, at lunches, mm -hmm. or breakfast, and I actually do have a story about that because I used to be a teacher, which I can get into. Yeah, please do. Okay. This is also a social justice issue. So I was a third grade teacher on the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico, mm -hmm. and all of my students were indigenous people. They were all Navajo or Diné. Mm -hmm. And if you look at maps of what some people call lactose normal, but it's more broadly known as lactose intolerance, you will see that a lot of Asian people, a lot of African people, a lot of Native and Indigenous people are lactose intolerant. We drink milk in this country because this land was colonized, I'm talking about North America, right. by Europeans, right? Mm -hmm. And now a lot of us who are not, you know, from that European ancestry are trying to adapt to a diet that we're not genetically adapted for. Mm -hmm. And we have things like the farm bill with the dairy subsidies. And if you go to pretty much any school in the United States, they serve cow's milk at um, lunch. Mm -hmm. And at my school, we were on fully subsidized um, breakfast and lunch. And we told our students that they had to drink cow's milk. And we wouldn't even have them drink any other alternative, right? We wouldn't even give them, you know, cups of water. <laughs> we only wow. provided cow's milk. And I was told that we need to make sure that the kids open up their cow's milk or we as a school will not get our funding. Wow. And at a school where I was really struggling to make sure that my kids even had basic supplies, um, but it's like, yes, let's drink this cow's milk. And, of course, my kids, you know, being symptoms of lactose intolerance, which is that their stomachs hurt a lot, my kids missed a lot of class because they were going to the bathroom all the time. My classroom smelled really terrible because they were really gaseous, mm -hmm. and I just felt awful that this is, you know, what we were forcing our kids to drink. And with my work through the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, I've seen that there are some changes that are happening. I know that at Oakland Unified School District, for example, they used to give every single kid cow's milk and deliver it to the classes. So if there's a classroom of 40 third grader or 34th graders, that's more realistic, 34th graders in a class, they would deliver, you know, 30 cards of milk. And even if only, you know, one kid drank it, those other 29 cards of milk were just sitting out there uh -huh. and they were thrown away, right? <sighs> so, you know, the, the changes that we can make to reduce it, right? So mm -hmm. that in Oakland, maybe they would deliver maybe five cards of milk to that class as opposed to feeling like they need to deliver that full 30, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of changes. And um, working with school districts to offer other options and, you know, helping them connect them to where to source food and how to make large-scale, you know, vegetarian options. Mm -hmm. There's so much pressure on kids in schools, which is why we did this whole series about 
it's okay to eat animals, it's okay to dissect animals, it's okay to have animals in the classroom in a cage, and we've perpetuated that for so long. So breaking out of that is really hard. I'm really glad you're out there doing that. And I know you're you're U.S.-based, but I heard about you through uh, an activist in Vancouver who's doing your presentations here. Do you know more about that? Yeah, so we have our, our core staff, and we also have various presenters as well. So we have presenters in Vancouver and Toronto, so in Canada, having some presence <laughs> and trying to... It's been a challenge, I think, actually, to do some more research to make sure that our presentations are more Canadian-specific because, mm-hmm. you know, here in the United States, we're talking about the Farm Bill and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what that is in Canada. Right. Now, you talked about a little bit about internships. What what are those internship programs? That's a really good question because I think it relates to something that you were saying earlier where, you know, there's a lot of students that are just, you know, in these classes and there's all these ways that animals are being used and it's just sort of like reiterated that this is like what's normal and what's acceptable. After our presentations, I have found that there's always a couple students who are really upset about this and want to do something. And that's mm-hmm. a very interesting distinction, right? Because there are people who are upset about it and maybe want to make some changes in their personal lives, but then there are also the people who want to be activists. And I right. remember being one of those kids who felt that this was so not okay that, <laughs> that we needed to actually do more. But it was challenging mm-hmm. because if I was the only kid at my school, then I didn't really feel like I had the support or the connections, and it was very isolating. So with this internship program, my goal is to really connect a lot of these students who do care about these issues and make them feel like they are, which they are. They are part of a community of activists. They are part of a community of people, high schoolers, college students, that really feel that this is not okay and that they want to educate. And so we prepare our interns. We go through professional development. We learn about different forms of activism, including public speaking, and we get feedback on that, and we go and do all these different campaigns, like Monday and canvassing and speaking to our schools and cooking and all these kinds of things. And the so hope is, yeah, go ahead. You're working with them one-on-one or you're mentoring them and in, in, in coaching them? Well, so our high school students meet every single month for professional development days during the school year. During the mm-hmm. summer, they meet every single week, and so these are all day. And then there's also the various subcommittees that they're working in. So that can be admin, Green Monday, event planning. So those meet in smaller groups. But that's in the Bay Area where we're meeting up in person. Mm-hmm. Across the United States, we also have our interns at <laughs> various other places. And so we do a lot of meeting over Google Hangouts. And the way that works is, you know, people can hop onto our calls all <laughs> in our Google Calendar. And we meet, we, we do some element of professional development. And then all of our regional California interns also have partners in the United States that they're they're connected to. So, you know, there might be a kid in Denver connected to one of our high school interns here. And they're um, going back and forth with each other thinking about, like, what they want to do. And we also have book club. So right now we're reading Eating Animals, and that happens with all of the interns 
both just in the Bay Area and across the country. And then we also have something called the Changemaker Project, which is online curriculum that the students are going through. Oh. I don't know if you're familiar with that program. I'm was, not. That's. Can you tell yeah. me more? So that was founded by Annalise Hoops, also here in the Bay Area. And what the students are doing is they are learning about how factory farming relates to all these different subjects, right? So just like in our presentations, going into lessons about animal welfare, going into lessons about ecofeminism and sexism and disability rights, and again, how everything's related to factory farming. And then they go through this design thinking process where they think about how they want to address these issues and working in teams. And the way Annalise does it is, I believe, in June, around then, the students and their teams actually get to pitch their ideas to receive funding. And, uh, sorry, is that in the Bay Area as well? Yes, but the Changemaker Project, I went to the Global Pitch event last year, is reaching students literally all around the world. And so okay. if the students are not able to physically come to the event, they pitch via, mm -hmm. via Google Hangouts or via video. Okay. okay, that's a good thing for us to uh, maybe look into a little bit further here too. Yeah. Because that means we can join in, right, from Canada. Yeah. Um, Canadian students are very welcome to join. <laughs> great. That's great. That's what we're trying to do is to get some different uh, resources for them so that they can, because I think a lot of them are still feeling pretty alone out there. A lot of the, uh, <clears throat> the kids that understand and know what's happening uh, with animals, and they, uh, some of them are having a tough time, actually, and we're... we're we're looking for ways to support them, so I'm going to put that on our agenda. Um, so we're just coming to the end of our um, interview, and uh, I'm wondering a couple of things. Um, what, how do teachers or students or parents in Canada contact FFAC for, uh, to, to get one of those presentations in their schools? Yeah, so if you if they go to our website, which is ffacoalition.org, they can see that they can request a presentation. They can also email us, and we'll connect them to the presenter that would go into their school. If you mm -hmm. live in a region that is, and you're in Canada, and it's not Vancouver or Toronto, we can also do virtual presentations. So okay. with, <laughs> with technology, as long as they have an internet connection, um, ideally a video camera so that I can see the students as well or whoever the person mm -hmm. is, we can actually facilitate that same discussion. Or if they don't want to okay. time it, we can also just send the video. And then okay. I hope that, you know, people in Canada, if you, if you do know a high school student or college student who cares about this and wants to apply for our internship programs, they can do so on our website as well. Great. Well, thank you very much, Monica. I think that we've got some good that solutions wonderful. here. I'm really glad that we had a chance to speak. That was an amazing show, Carol. Thank you for putting those pieces together in the last of our four-part series of uh, school days. That's what you're calling it, That's right? That's right. So you can check them all out on animalvoices.org if you want to hear the podcasts. You've been listening to the Animal Voices radio show on 100.5 FM Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us on next week's show on Friday, December the 13th. We have a pre-holiday show lined up for you for our feature interview. 
interview, we'll have amazing blogger, recipe developer, and multimedia artist Kirsten Kaminsky, who is the founder of the popular social media video recipe channels called The Tasty K. She'll be speaking about her new cookbook aptly called Vegan Holiday Cooking, 60 Meatless Dairy-Free Recipes Full of Festive Flavors. We'll also welcome back Zero Waste Community Organizer Tasha Lobsinger to speak about going zero waste for the holidays. If we want to connect with you online, check out animalvoices.org to stream or download the show uh, shows, one decade worth of shows. And uh, you can find our show notes there. The podcast is also available from iTunes and Google Play. Uh, visit our Facebook page and Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. And please let us know what you think about the show. Send us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com to give your feedback or ideas for interviews. And also, so we are looking for volunteers on the Animal Voices show. So if you like what you, we do here on Animal Voices, and we are seeking volunteers to join our production team. And with all shows on Co-op Radio, we are entirely volunteer-run, so we are seeking more volunteers to produce and host shows, operate the control room, help with website maintenance, social media, and more. If you have any of these skills or a willingness and aptitude to learn, please send us an email. Uh, send us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook page and full training will be provided. So we are going to be ending the show now with the song School Days by Chuck Berry. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. And thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. And remember to be kind to the animals. Have a great weekend. Up in the morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study him hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. And the guy behind you won't leave you alone. Ring, ring goes the bell. The cook in the lunchroom's ready to sell. You're lucky if you can find a seat. You're fortunate if you have time to eat. Back in the classroom, open your books. Keep it the teacher, don't know how mean she looks. Soon as three o'clock rolls around, you finally lay your burden down. Close up your books, get out of your seat. Corner and round the bend Ride to the juke, join you go